everybody's probably already looking at the title of this section and going, God, I'm glad we're in Thanksgiving and Christmas. <laughs> um, but I, I have to share with you that when you teach the Scripture, you've got to keep it in the context. And technically, if you look at verse 16 of 4, the first eight verses of 5 are all kind of together in the same paragraph. And if you read the text very simply... In the context of the letter, I don't know what else you're going to call this text. Okay, so um, (laughs) let's pray and then read the word of the Lord. And as I always do when I move into a new section, I'll lay a foundation that we can kind of work off of over the next times together. Father, we come today in a season of thanksgiving. And even as I look at this text, I am grateful. Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, there are so many things tugging at us, distracting us. Uh, And Lord, um, the wonder of wonders is that you came and you completely paid the penalties of each of our sins. That we would be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when this mortal body is shed then, Father, we stand in your presence forever and ever to the praise and the glory of you who redeemed us. Father, that there is uh, thanksgiving. Help us, Lord, to walk worthy. Help us to hear and help us to get rid of the distractions of this crazy place. To your glory and to your praise. Amen. Chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked, for we indeed While we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us his spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, And knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body, but to be at home with the Lord. This really falls in with what we've been studying over the last few weeks. But I want you to keep it in the context of what we're looking at. You're looking at it in the context of 2 Corinthians, the letter. That whole letter is dealing with Christians on what is ministry. How do I get through this thing? How how do I pertain to the area, to the society, to the people that I am involved with? How is it that I can get through this and, 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 and maintain uh, of you, a lot of what you and I have been exposed to in the name of quote unquote ministry um, is extraordinarily abnormal, extraordinarily abnormal, because as I look through history of the church and the gospel record, um, what you see that I call the Americanization of the gospel is corrupt. It's not legit. All right. And, and everybody's like, what? Wait, you no. Know, um, when I see people saying that they have a music ministry, um, I don't find a biblical precedence for that. Okay. Now listen, please. I've had people say, well, he's just against music. I am not. I'd be the last person in the world who's against music. But I do have a problem when they try to tell me that singing a repetitive verse for a long time is something to do with worship. Okay. Because as I look at the hymns and, and, and uh, there is some amazing theology in them. 
And out of my praises to who is God will break forth in music. Okay, it, the biggest book in the Bible is the book of Psalms. Okay, those are basically songs. Okay, if you got a music ministry, why aren't you taking them and putting some music to it? Okay, because they are praises to God. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with singing praises to God. A lot of what I hear in the Christian music genre now, I don't know who they're praising. I mean, it's, you know, I don't know. I, I got to give them credit. We got some fairly good musicians, but I, I don't. That, there's a danger in that. And we classify that as ministry. I watch people doing things in the body of Christ, and they call it their ministry. All right, I have to ask you, if you think you're in the ministry right now, then I would challenge you to read 2 Corinthians from start to finish and ask you how your ministry lines up with it. Because the ministry has to have supernatural enabling to accomplish anything in it because it is that hard. Okay, and if you think you can go to a school, a four-year degree or seminary or something like that, and now you are ready for ministry, you're not. You're not. Um, and... I'm hoping that over these last few years that we've been in 2 Corinthians, that some of you are realizing what it takes to get there. And Paul himself says, who's adequate for this? Well, God makes us adequate. And the basis of ministry is the Word. If you don't know your way around the Bible, you're really serving what? Ministry is serving. Well, but I helped get the... No, 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 no. You're missing it. If you are in the ministry, you are serving the Word. And people don't understand that. You know, we have a food closet. Praise God for it. Because we are touching lives. We are. Okay? But I can tell you, you... If we gave every penny we have... You're going to outgive food stamps? Really? You can't do it. It is a door to assist a person who is in a physical need. But if you're really honest with the gospel record, you look at Jesus meeting the physical needs. He had thousands. When he called them to take up their cross and follow him, he got crickets. It thinned out really well. Even to the point of the night he was arrested, his 12 disciples, one had betrayed him, one denied him, and the other 10 vanished. Paul said that at his arraignment, there was no one who took counsel for him, but Christ stood with him. Anybody want to sign up for that one? I mean... We read Ezekiel this morning. I want you to lay on your side for how long? Those, yeah, but those are Hebrew days, right? There's like four in a day. Because I had people ask me, well, what does that mean? God wanted him to. Why? Ask God. Go read Hosea. I mean, you know, everybody says, well, Ezekiel, he had to lay. Go look what Hosea had to go through. And he had every right in the world to kill his wife multiple times. And he says, no, I want you to be a picture of what you're preaching. I believe that if you're really true to Scripture, that this text, this section, these eight verses is extraordinarily helpful. And I think it'd be extraordinarily encouraging. One of the things that I can look at when I'm going through these letters 
is that there is a lot of turmoil in the church in Corinth. All right? They're, they're not a happy church. They've, they've got all kind of weird. If you don't believe me, read 1 Corinthians. But I can also say, as I look at the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this, what was going on in his life, he's not really having much fun either. If you're honest with the Apostle Paul's life, you will see that from the beginning of his ministry to his execution, really? It seemed that it was just gearing up on him day to day. I mean, it was almost like he was just getting a few more enemies every day. And and you read it through and you think, gee, many crickets. Why didn't he, uh, you know, why didn't he take a sabbatical? Perhaps he could have gone someplace and refreshed. He did. The Philippian jail, he got time to take a break. He got time in Herod's palace in his jail. And he had some brief time up in the jails in Rome. So he he got breaks. Okay, he just didn't have the view that everybody thinks you should get on your sabbatical. Now, I want to share this with you because I believe there is something missing in the Christian community today. Okay. And I believe it is what I call the Americanization of the gospel. If you would turn to the gospel of Matthew chapter five. This is beginning of the what is called the Sermon on the Mount. It is Jesus explaining some things to the masses. To the masses. If you begin there in verse 3, chapter 5 of Matthew, you see it starts there with the word blessed. Blessed. Okay. The word there in the original language is a little different than what you and I think. Because I could take every single one of you, if I took you by yourself and say, tell me what is a blessing, every one of you would give me a different answer. This is a blessing, this is a blessing, this is a blessing. Okay, The word here in the original language means happy. Okay, But they don't use the word happy because happy is always based on happenstance. Okay, something is going on and I'm happy. All right. But when that stops going on, I'm not so happy no more. Okay. That's not the word blessed. Blessed means regardless of what is going on, I'm happy. Okay. Now look how he starts it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, two levels of poor at the writing of the New Testament. One is what you see regularly in the the gospel record is what I call a day laborer. People who would line up at different places that maybe they're agricultural or maybe they were carpentry or maybe whatever they were. They would line up and they would work a day and get a day's wages. Okay, the second word for poor is a beggar. The only thing I get is is whatever falls off of somebody's table. Okay? That's the term that is used here. Happy is the beggar in spirit. Wow. All right. For theirs is what? kingdom of heaven now then tell me that there hasn't been an Americanization of the gospel I hear people telling me that we need to do a demographic study to find out what the the income of the people are the job situation of the people are we need to figure out you know whether they've got little kids or teenage kids in this area and then we will make a church that will Fit that demographic. What do you do with that verse? 
I want to go find the society, the neighborhood who are beggars in spirit. Why? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Are you interested in ministry? You know what he just said right there in one little bitty verse? It's going to be hard to get an American into the pearly gates. Look at us. Look at our churches. Look at what we teach. Look at what we preach. And you know what? The people that I see that come to salvation have what? Become beggars in spirit. Why? I have nothing. I have absolutely nothing. And theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. You know what mourning is, right? The ultimate tragedy has crept into their lives. And they begin mourning. Wait, wait a minute. It says here, those are the ones who will be comforted. Do you, do you understand what I'm trying to tell you right now? This is the gospel. You must be a beggar in spirit. That means that you've got nothing. But God will give you the kingdom of heaven. You will turn from that and you will weep bitterly as you look at humanity and the things in your life and you will be comforted. How many of you heard that on the day that you came to salvation? I never heard that. Never did. I didn't hear nothing when I came to salvation. I was in a little bitty room all by myself. Me and Jesus, just like this. And I was pretty much at the beggar stage. I had... Uh, I had not only come to the end of my rope, I'd cut off what was left. So who needs a rope? Oops, I do. But I didn't have somebody saying, oh, yours is the kingdom of heaven because where I was was not the kingdom of heaven. But you know what did happen? I was comforted. I was comforted. And you know what? At the time, I didn't even know I was being comforted. It was just sort of like, huh. And, and I didn't even know what it was. But you know what? I can look back on it and I can say, you know what? There was a happiness there. Now, some of you know where this place was, where I was. I'm not going to, that's not the issue here. The issue is, is that what do you look to as a Christian? To make you happy. What makes you happy? I'm a happy Christian. What makes you happy? Because I guarantee you, just these two are not on your list. Yeah, see, I'll be a beggar, I'll be happy. If I'm mourning, grieving in bitterly in my heart, I'll be happy. Just doesn't set, does it? Well, I thought Jesus was kind of like, you know, the sheep and the little lambies and he pets our head and life is good and we go flocking across the grass. We do. In heaven. Not here. Not here. You know why? As a Christian today, do you realize that if you want to see the effects of the gospel then you will have to find a person who is a beggar in their very core of their spirit, their very being. They've run out of all the answers. They've run out of everything. They've got nothing left. And you will run into those who are so grieving in the spirit that they but mourn and you will be their comforter. 
Well, I thought you said God was going to do it. Well, there was a riot in Ephesus once upon a time. Paul fled Ephesus, went to Troas, and a door for her, the gospel was open there, but he was so troubled in the spirit, that would be that mourning in the spirit, that he couldn't stay. And he went on to Macedonia, and guess what happened? Titus showed up and gave him great comfort. Because Titus was with him in Ephesus, and he didn't even know if Titus was alive. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be... Do you read that? What does it say? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, what will happen? They will be satisfied. Why will they be satisfied? Because they hunger and thirsted for righteousness. You know why so many in the church today are not satisfied? They're not hungering for it. Because if you're going to hunger and thirst for righteousness, we have a tendency to want to look at the politicians and think what scoundrels they are. And the truth of the matter is you should look in the mirror and see if that person is hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been... What does it say? Are you sure that word blessed means happy? How can you tell me that if somebody is persecuting me for my faith in Jesus Christ, I should be happy? Well, they did your Lord. They did the apostle to the Gentiles. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And if you're this happy... Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way that they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Everybody happy about being in the ministry yet? I didn't hear any amens or yeah, sure, dude, or whatever. From the beginning of the Apostle Paul's ministry, hostilities towards the man seemed to be getting bigger and bigger, growing, and it didn't matter whether it was Jew or Gentile. He knew at any day he could lose his life. And now I want you to think about this for a second. How would you like to have it that this could be the very day that you died and you were aware of it every day? Now think about that for a second. Let let that kind of roll around in the old brain pan. That this is the day I could die. And you're aware of it. How's it change your look on life? I think in most cases, just make us cranky. Don't you? I mean, if you thought that everybody's out to get you, Jew and Gentile, I'll get them first. Chapter 1 of this letter, verse 4. He comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Hmm. That's kind of odd. Look at verse 8. 
I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction. Came to us in Asia. We were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even what? Of life. You know what he's saying there, right? I know what's going on. I'm looking around at it. They want me dead. They want me shut up. And there's only one way they can shut me up. And that is to kill me. Chapter 4, 7 and 8. Remember this. This treasure in earthen vessels, so the surpassing greatness of the power of, will be of God and not of ourselves. All right? How surpassing is it? We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. Perplexed, not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, and not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus. Cruise on over to verses 11, 12. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So, death works in us, but life in you. Chapter 6, verse 4. In much endurance and affliction and hardships and in distresses, in beatings and imprisonments and tumults, in labors and sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge and patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in genuine love, in the word of truth and the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left hand. For by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, unknown, yet well known, as dying, yet behold, we live, are punished as punished, but not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, yet possessing all things. How in the world do you pull that off? Chapter 7, verse 5. For even when we came to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. We were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without, fears within. Chapter 11, beginning at verse 23. Far more imprisonments, beaten Times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. He just goes on and on and on. Apart from the external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all of the churches. Chapter 12, verse 10. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sakes. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I give you that because I want you to think about something for a second. You lay that all out there and you say, okay, this guy, this is apostle to the Gentiles. He's cruising up the Damascus road. The resurrected Christ, boom, invades his whole being and says, oh, okay. And, you know, then somewhere in there, he was out in the Arabian desert and he studied under the person of Jesus Christ for about three years. Wow, that would be like totally awesome. Oh, man, I want to. And somewhere in his ministry, he was taken up to the third heaven and the things that he seen there, he was not allowed to repeat. And he came back. Well, I would like them. Whoa, that's awesome. Really? You want that ministry? To whom much is given, much is required. And yet, I can look at this letter, 2 Corinthians, and say, but this is ministry. And how do I do this? How do I put up with the insults? How do I put up with the heartbreak? How do I put up with the discouragement? How do I put up with the weariness? How do I put up with... Over and over and over the rejection of what it is you're doing. See, 
One of the things that I look at in this letter, after spending a lot of time in 1 Corinthians, understanding that 1 Corinthians deals with our own personal holiness. Once that is right, then you move into 2 Corinthians and you start looking at, oh, wow. Because, see, until you have dealt with your own personal holiness, if someone beats you for no apparent reason, what are you going to do? Beat them back. But if you dealt with your own personal holiness, then you understand they're attacking Christ and you're manifesting Christ. And if Christ wants it dealt with, he'll send a legion of angels. But see, there's everybody in here. And I look at this because we've got an amazing cross-section of ages. And I wonder, you know, sometimes once you get over a certain age, death becomes a little more real. Okay? But when you're down here on this age over here, eh, whatever. It was a tragic accident that they died. And you know what? Death is death. And there's nobody in this room immune to it. And you know what? There's nobody in this room who knows that moment. The Apostle Paul knew that he was going to die. And he knew that the way things were kind of going in his life, it was going to be for the gospel. Because that seemed to be cranking it up. You and I in our society today are no different than the Corinthians. We are content in our society. Oh, I just don't want to stir nothing up. Now remember when they told me, oh, we don't want you to use Jesus' name at the invocation for the town. Then you need someone else. What? Well, but this gets your face out. You know, the people who are looking at the town meetings and hey, you need someone else. I pray through the person of Jesus Christ. Period. And they said, well, what if there's a Jewish person there for town business? Jesus was Jewish. I'm not trying to start a fight, but I ain't praying to the big guy in the sky. May the force be with you. No. I, that is the craziest stuff ever. Well, I don't want to be offensive. You know what? I do. It means to confront your sin, then I'm going to be offensive. Paul was offensive. Remember what he said? I don't want you to lose heart. You know what that is? Cowardice. I don't want you to be timid. Because, let's be realistic, if the whole world seems like they want you dead, it's easy to sort of tone it down a bit, bro. And yet, the more the persecution escalated on Paul the bolder he got. I've heard this phrase, and I can hear it being said to the Apostle Paul. You need to relate a little better to the culture. You're a little too confrontive. It is your personality that is making them hostile towards you. And yet, I think about this man. You know, in that 11th chapter, we find out he was beaten and shipwrecked and danger in the country and danger in, in, in the cities. And his, the, his brethren didn't, his, the Jews didn't like him. The Gentiles didn't like him. Everybody wanted him dead. And I, and I, and I look at that and I, listen, if somebody stones you, okay, you understand that that is painful. I mean, it's not like Jesus says, they're going to stone you, but I shall give you morphine. You'll be fine. No, man. 
He got stoned. So there's pain there. There, there is the, the heartache there. There, the, he's surrounded by death. It's always, remember he was there when they stoned Stephen. He was holding her coats. He had seen it. He was there in Ephesus when the riots happened. He knew what it was about. Why didn't it bother him? And, and, and if you're really honest with the apostle, you would say that the greater the persecution, the greater the hostility, the greater the turmoil, the bolder he got. Now listen, that is not human nature. I mean, even Elijah says, I'm going up under a tree because there ain't nobody out here. And I mean, he just burned up 400 prophets of Baal. Jezebel wants to see you. I'm out of here. And God has to come and tell him, listen, I got 5,000 set aside. Shut up and quit your whining. That's a paraphrase. But isn't that what we do? Ain't nobody loves me no more. Oh, wait. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. Happy are those who mourn. He never toned his message down. And if you look at his life, he didn't tone it down in front of the kings. He didn't tone it down in front of the rulers. The judges, I have the ability to take your life. Send me on. Send me on. To live is Christ, to die is... Let me ask you a question today. How about you? What if God said, you're done today? Today. What if he said that? You're over. Come on home. What do you think? Do you see what I'm trying to get at? The apostle Paul lived with any moment is my death and I'm not shutting up. Why? To live is... Christ. The problem that you and I in the church in America have today is to live is not Christ. If that's not true in my life, death is a scary thought. And I won't think about it because that's great grandpa up there who's in the hospital getting ready to die. I had four people this week that were near death. That shouldn't be. They weren't planning on it. And guess what? 1-800-CALL-TERRY. Sorry, I ain't a doctor. Then they want to talk to you. I need to talk to you. This isn't going well. (laughs) All right, and they want to talk about spiritual things. They're afraid of death. Why? Because to live is self. Those are your two options, by the way. You can either live to Christ or you can live to self. Okay? They didn't plan on it. Last week, four high school kids at a party, driving home, take the corner at 60 mile an hour. Two are dead. I had, a, my senior class was like a hundred and, I think we were like a hundred kids. Okay? We had 19 kids who died in the last four years of high school. Some of them were suicide. Uh, most of them car act. Well, uh, Dave was hauling a big load of hay and shouldn't have been. Okay. Now, that ain't good odds in a small high school. But you know what? None of them kids were looking at, hey, today could be the day. I remember a night I never worked on the weekends. I, I used I used to drive a forklift for uh, Sears and Roebuck. And I, had, I was supposed to... Uh, all of a sudden, they called me in and said, you got to work. It was a Saturday night, and I was going to go do my Saturday night thing. Okay, and I was like, 
go to work. There's no trucks or anything coming. They said, no, we need you in the catalog department. You know what I ended up doing? You ain't going to believe this. You're all sitting down. Gift wrapping. Okay. There you go. I had stopped it to carry out. There was my buddies there. I had a, um, Rick was his name. I won't give his last name. Had a 1965 Thunderbird. Nice car. Okay. Him and uh, a guy named Dickie Parker, Larry Stamper. Come on. Let's go. There's a big party out. Hensley's. Can you, it's going to be great. They got, and it's, you know, Christmas time. They got speakers up. More. I said, dude, I got to go to work. He said, call in sick. I can't. I went to, went to work. They were doing a bunch of quaaludes. Come around the corner. Car lost the corner. Went heads up this way, right through the forest top. PD was sitting in the back seat. That's Parker. Was paralyzed from the neck down. I would have been sitting next to him. And the seat and the roof were about that thick where I'd have been sitting. Driver of the car lost his uh, left arm, left eye, and left leg. And <laughs> Goofy Larry broke his arm. But I'd have been with him. But instead, I was saved by gift wrapping. But I guarantee you, I wasn't thinking, hey, I'll go to work. I could go die instead. Okay, but I'm going to challenge you. How do you face it? I, I'm pretty sure that everybody in here has had a run in with death. It may have been distant. You know, I'm my second uncle's cousin's brother. Or, or somewhere. Or you, you know, mom and dad's got to go to a funeral. What's that? I don't know. Dead people. And the key is that I got to ask you is how do we deal with that? How do I face death and how do I face it confidently? I'm going to close with a thought. Paul actually preferred death. Okay? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I want you to think about something. The night that our Lord was arrested, he has a little place that he, he taught with his disciples. Judas has left. And he gives them kind of a crunch picture of this. But one of my favorite texts of Scripture is what I call the Lord's Prayer. Okay? John 17. Okay? If you look at that and you look at it just briefly, we don't have enough time to really cover this. Okay? John 17 verses 1 through eight, Jesus prays for himself. You know what I find fascinating about this? Him praying for himself? He lifts his eyes toward heaven. That's amazing to me. Okay? I've just never... There's been a couple of times in my life under great strain when I look to heaven... Help is usually what it was. But he just does this. He lifts his eyes to heaven. And Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Wow. He's like, wow, dude. All right. That's kind of cool. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself. With the glory which I had with you before the world was. Hmm. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. And you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words you gave me I have given to them. They received them. Truly understood. That's amazing prayer right there. I mean, you can stay forever right there and just hang out. Verses 9 through 19. 
He prays for the disciples. This would be the group that is up there in the upper room at that time. Okay? I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world. Don't you find that fascinating? Jesus is not praying for the world. He's praying for those God has given him. But of those of whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. The disciples are going to remain. I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be what? One. Even as we are. Now I'm going to ask you a simple question right now. Were they one as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were? Ten disciples. Were they one? But of course. You didn't see... John running out and starting the Second Baptist Church of Jerusalem. When they went somewhere, they went together in pairs because they were spreading it out. Whether it was Philip, it didn't matter. They were one. They came together, they ate together, they stayed together, they brought all the belongings together as one. And then when God said, we're going to take it to all of the earth, they started sending them out. And they were still One, they were in agreement. One. Okay, so emphatically, was that answered? I mean, we can sit and say, glorify me as it was in the beginning. Oh, yep, that was answered. Yeah, get that resurrection thing going on. That's got it covered. You can look at it and say, yeah, we are back to one. They were separated. Eli, Eli, Lamasa, Bakhtami. What is that? Why have you forsaken me? But he brought him back. And we are one as we were before the world. It was answered. His prayer for the disciples. That they be one as we are one. And it was answered. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you had given me. And I guarded them. And not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that Scripture would be fulfilled. But now, I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have what? My joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word and what? I didn't write it. I didn't write it. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am. Not of the world. You know what he just did there? World hates me. Why? I'm not of the world. Oh, guess what? These ten, they're just like me. Which means the world is what? Gonna tone it down a little bit. It's hostile. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. I wish he hadn't wrote that. But anyway, (laughs) I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Okay, verse 17. What's it say? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Do you know what it means to be sanctified? You guys who come on Sunday night, you do. Set apart. Cleansed. I'm different. 
I'm different. How do I be different than the world? I gotta be in the book. Too many of you in this room right now are not. And you know what? I look at you and it breaks my heart. It causes me to mourn because you know what? You look just like the world. But you know what's cool about it? They don't hate you. If I am set apart unto the word of God, the world will hate you. And there's too many in this room right now. World don't hate you. And <laughs> they think I'm annoyance. <laughs> As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves may also be sanctified in truth. Okay, stop right there. That was for the disciples. So you see Jesus praying for Jesus. You see Jesus praying for those who are in the upper room. At the time of this teaching, he wants them set apart. Okay? Perfect. You could sit back in your chair right now and say, right, that's for the disciples. As for Jesus, I'm grateful. But then there's a problem. Verse 20. Because verse 20 through 26... Do you know who he's praying for? He's praying for Kendall, Amy, Morgan, Jeff, Al, Terry, twins. All the saints who will ever walk the planet. This is what he prays for us. I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me, through their word. That'd be us. What does it say next? That they may be one. Well, all right. We're in a Baptist church. We're one. Baptist ain't even one. <laughs> And then he gives a definition of how he would define one. Even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Who is they in that text? Those who believe through the word of the original disciples. So that the world may believe that you sent me. That's how you evangelize people. There's a oneness in the body of Christ of people who are sanctified by the word of God, who are set apart from the world. They're unified in that truth. They stand in that truth. They cannot be moved from that truth. They will not compromise that truth. They are bold in that truth. They will never lose heart in that truth because God, the author, is in them, giving it to them, and you've got to stick your nose in it so you know what it says. Then there's a oneness that the world says, whoa. That's how it's done. And it ain't being done now because nobody is interested in the Word of God. We're interested in programs and systems and smiley faces. Maybe not smiley face. I do not understand why we think it's this complicated. And I read this and say, this is what he prayed. Let's get this done. Because, have you ever heard it in Jesus' name? Okay? I remember uh, Billy Graham said that you put in Jesus' name on it, and if you don't put it on your prayers, it's like sending a letter without a stamp. That used to scare me. I want to pray and not get a stamp on it. Well, it did. But as I studied more in the Scriptures, I realized that in Jesus' name, name is all that you are. Okay? So if it's in Jesus' name, it's all that he is. 
So if I'm praying something, I can say in my prayer, because this is what Jesus wants. Sure thins down prayer, doesn't it? And all I have to say to that is go back to the 17th chapter of John and say, look what he wanted. And I can pray any of these things knowing that I'm in the will of God. I've been praying for you, each of you, by name for almost a month now that you'll be sanctified in truth. And his word is truth. Why? That's what Jesus wants. It don't matter what I do. It don't matter what program we come up with. But God sanctify you in truth. I hope He makes you so hungry you can't ever lay your Bible down. Wear it out. Look what He continues to pray for those who would be sanctified in truth by the hearing of the disciples' word. The glory which you have given me Anybody brave enough to read on? Do you realize that the new covenant is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? And then now read that one. That the glory you have given me, the glory of God in the face of Christ, I have... Who is them? Who is it? That'd be us. Now, in this room right now, there should be some of us going, yeah! But there's some in this room going, oh, man. Can we go have turkey now? I'll even eat the cranberries. Raw. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Now then, I'm going to close with this thought. Paul could face death happily. Okay, because he knew that the world hated Jesus first. Okay, so he knew that the words that he was going to give were going to cause the world to hate him. Look what he says. Father, I desire that they. He hasn't changed the they or them there. We. What did he say? He hasn't changed the they or them. I desire that they also whom you have given me. What does it say? Be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Okay, now there is a little small problem with that. These bodies are not allowed into the holiness and the perfection of where he is physically. The holy throne room of God does not allow sinful flesh in, period. But Jesus says, I want them where I am that they may see the glory that you have given me. Are you all excited about praying what Jesus wants? What's Jesus want? What? He wants us with him. Which means what? Death. 
I know it's Thanksgiving and the dude is talking about dying. What is the matter with this crazy man? Therein lies the problem. Why would I ever be afraid of death? Why would I not look at death confidently, boldly, with a hope that says, I'm going to go see him. That's going to be a kick after I get over the shock. Isn't it? But see, you don't think about that. You think about, I've got to pay this bill. i got this. Christmas is coming. I haven't even begun my Christmas shopping. Gee, many crickets. I don't know how money is that done. Hey, we got Thanksgiving coming in. What if it snows? You know, and then, you know, I hear my daughter, I'm going to get married. And they've got a little thing on the board. It says 16, 14, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Whoosh. Clear the smoke. And I'm sitting there thinking, I know I don't want to go. I don't want to see Jesus' prayer answer. <laughs> Exit stage, whatever. Listen, I shared with you over the last few weeks, how do we endure? There's too many in the body of Christ right now who are relying on physical strength. There's too many in the body of Christ right now who are looking at the present and not eternal future. There's too many in the body of Christ right now who are looking at the temporal and not the eternals. Okay, And when I see it, it is so easy to spot because it looks just like the world. Looks just like it. You can spot it a mile away. Why? It still looks like the world. There's nothing's changed. And you know what I see in that? When I see people do that, I say they cannot endure, nor are they being sanctified by truth. Okay? Which means you do have a blessing out of it. The blessing is this. The world doesn't hate you. They think you're special. That's why when they would come to Paul and say, can you just tone it down? Can't you be more acceptable to the culture and try to make the message fit the demographic studies that we've done for these people? He said, no. No. Because I want them to be one. When there is a lack of unity in the body of Christ, know this, know this emphatically. It is your pride causing it. If I consider others more important than myself, I can never have a disagreement with anybody. And you can only do that when you are one in Christ and you have been sanctified by truth because his truth will remove (laughs) any pride you got. And that's why you can look to the heavenlies and say, come quickly, Lord, even if it means my physical demise, come quickly. Quickly. And every one of you at some point in time is going to face that. And if you have lived as Christ, then death will be gain. Really not that complicated. Seek thy face and walk in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing things that you have shown me through my brother Paul. I pray, Lord, that these people will be sanctified by truth. They will hunger and thirst for your righteousness. It will become the longing of their souls. Father, take and remove whatever would distract them from that. May they be overwhelmed by your presence. May they have a passion for the things above. Father, may they not rely on their physical strength, but the spiritual strength that you continue to work. Father, may they be looking to the future and not at the present. Father, may they be looking at the eternal and not the term, the temporal. Father, help us to look happily at death and that it has no sting. And that your glory be revealed in each of us. In Christ's name.